0: This is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast, where I have the wonderful pleasure of welcoming Scott Jeffrey Miller to the show. All three names, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Capping off a 25 year career where he served as the CMO and Executive VP of Business Development at Frankly Covey's, he is now a senior advisor on thought leadership. He also hosts an amazing, amazing podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, reaching more than 6 million people each Tuesday. Oh, I aspire to the days. In addition, Scott's an author, leadership column for Inc., and is the best-selling author of Mess to Success and Master Mentor series. He has a new book coming out in October, Can't Wake, Master Mentors, Volume 2, because Volume 1 was so amazing. With so many people I know, Ann Chow, Whitney Johnson, Liz I mean, Wiseman, it was was awesome. So with that, Scott Jeffrey Miller, welcome to the show. Tiffany, thank you for the platform. Thank you for the spotlight. Honored to be on your podcast today. Well, we are not going to let you off the hook. I start with something called bullish and bearish. And in our little pre-minute before we got to recording, I said, it's bullish and bearish should be fairly simple. He goes, oh, no, no, that's okay. I've been reading the Wall Street Journal since I was you know, in sixth grade. So I know what bullish and bearish is. I went, oh God, <laughs> he's going to stump me, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So Scott, are you ready? Bring it on girl. All right. First one, bullish or bearish, dinner in space. Oh, bearish. That just
1: doesn't interest me. I'm very cognizant of, you know, probably where that's headed and the research and science, but yeah, it has little to no interest to me at all. Okay. Fair enough. Bearish. Fair enough. All right. Next one. I got three boys. I got three boys that are eight, 10, and 12, so I can't take a lot of risks. And right now that's kind of like not worth the reward to me.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Like I'm kind of with you. I, I I'm with, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm kind of oh, I don't know yet. But I know some people I'd like to send
1: to space to have dinner in the hopes that they you know have a good time. But
0: yeah, okay, I'm... I'm also with you on that. All right, <laughs> next one, four day work week bullish or bearish? You know that's a
1: tough one because I don't think one size fits all. I mean I know some European countries and companies that you know are practicing that. It's kind of starting here in the Western you know, capitalism, if you will. I don't really have a strong opinion, which is rare for me. I usually have a very strong opinion on items. I think everyone has one life. You don't have a a work life and a personal life. You kind of all have one life now. So you kind of do what it takes to get the job done. Hopefully, you're a knowledge worker and you're working for a company that values that. So you do what it takes. I think increasingly companies are providing flexibility to their knowledge workers to work how they need to. So I'm probably not pro or con. And that's not because I'm loathe to take positions. I'm very dogmatic about certain things. But on that one, I can see probably all sides of that.
0: Okay. All right. I, 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 I'm 0 I, for, for 2 right now. That's okay. That's all right. Like, you know, sometimes I go one way, it's always bullish or it's always bearish. Okay, the yeah, next one. Too. Leaders having a coach. Oh, well, well, duh.
1: I mean, first of all, Not everyone should be a leader of people. Nonsense with this, everyone's a leader. BS. Everyone's not a leader of people. You might lead lead a project, lead yourself, but if you are going to be a leader of people, by the way, not everyone should be an anesthesiologist, not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot, and not everyone should be a leader of people. Period. But if you are going to be a leader of people, there's no question you should have a coach. That coach helps to build your self-awareness. They help help you to detect and identify what is your mission, your passions, what are your talents, what are your fears. They help to groom in you a sense of vulnerability as a leadership competency. Everyone who is in a leadership capacity should have a coach or multiple coaches or an evolution of coaches. There's no such thing as being bearish on that. That's only bullish.
0: Well, there you go. So I balanced it out.
1: Thank you. Two bearish, one bullish.
0: And, and if you didn't catch that, Scott was very passionate about that one. <laughs> let's, let's just start there, right? I mean, no question. Okay, so, so let's dig in a little bit because I think I'd love to unpack what you just said. First, I see many companies move leaders in quotation marks from an individual contributor role where they're very successful into a leadership role without much coaching, training, insight into what that actually means. And I'm going to guess, based on what you just said, that is a recipe for disaster.
1: I've spent my entire 30-year career in leadership development as the officer of arguably the world's most trusted leadership development firm, Franklin Covey. So on this topic, I have a very clear point of view, both as an individual contributor who was wrongly promoted into a leadership position and as a leader that's grown and built my skills. I think one of the biggest disservices, Tiffany, that organizations do to people, namely individual contributors, is they think because you are a great salesperson means you need to be a great sales leader. That's outrageous. I mean, here's a great example. I was for a decade one of Franklin Covey's top contributing sales individuals. Salesperson carried a bag quarterly number quarter after quarter after quarter, and they came to me and promoted me to become a sales leader. Now keep in mind that my Gallup's my Gallup Strengths Finder right. My top five strengths. Two of them were competition and significance. My top two strengths, as identified by Gallup's Gallup Strengths Finder. Those are great strengths to have as an individual contributing salesperson. Those are outrageous strengths to have as a sales leader. You do not want your sales leader having competition and significance as their top strength. So I think you're absolutely right. I think too often in organizations, the only way to get promoted is to become a leader of people. Earn more money, have more influence, have more power, have more title. You've got to lead people. In fact, in most tech companies, that is the only path. You've got to lead a team of five or ten. It's outrageous. That's like saying the only way to earn $300,000 is to become a, a cardiovascular surgeon. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't learn my way to that. In 10 years, I couldn't learn my way. It's not my DNA. It's not my passion. It's not my talent. So to capstone that, anybody who's listening, who's thinking of promoting somebody else into a leadership position, take them aside and do them the disservice of saying this. You know, you've had an incredible contribution here as as the creative contributor in our innovations team. And we're looking for a creative leader to lead eight creative team members. Let's talk about all the strengths you have that have made you a great creative contributor. Now, if you were to become the creative leader, of these seven strengths, you probably will need to leave five of them behind. Like, stop doing what got you here. Like, overnight, Stop doing the things that have made you so successful. And here are seven or eight new competencies that quite frankly, right now, you don't yet possess in full. And you're gonna have to learn these immediately in the job. Is this, does this sound like a career path you wanna pursue? Because what happens is in organizations, Tiffany, when you increase the responsibility of an individual contributor, that of a leader of people, and it's not right for them, rarely do they step back down into their previous role. They leave. They quit because they hate it. They don't realize that leadership is about having high courage conversations, giving people feedback on their blind spots, coaching people, mentoring people, holding people accountable for both making and keeping commitments. That's not for everyone. So to your point, it's vital that people think very carefully about being lured into a leadership position versus being led into it.
0: Well, I like you started my career as an individual quota bearing sales rep and I did really well. I always achieved quota, made club, all those things. And then they said, you're doing so well, become a team lead and then become a manager and then become a leader and then run a, you know, then run a division. And it and it was a very difficult transition for me to make that pivot between I'm the one out there competing to, I have to help my team win and compete. But having been an athlete my you know whole life, young, when I was young, um, I understood what a good coach looked like and how that motivation and that time and under understanding the individual differences between people was really important to the way in which I worked with them. Remarkably well said.
1: Unlike you, I was a young tennis professional. And so that's an individual sport. I never played team sports. I played tennis seven days a week for 15 years. And I knew what it was like to win independently. I, I did not naturally take the light and the success of others. That didn't make me a bad person. It made me a bad leader. So as I became a leader of people, I had to realize well, one of my key contributions is to achieve results with and through other people, not turn them into a mini-me version of myself, not to make them into my likeness. And that was a tough time working under me for decades, until I realized, oh, wait, no, no, no. My job is to unleash your talents, make you the genius. My job is to take delight in your success. So woe is the people, people that worked for me in my 20s and 30s. It got a little bit better in my 40s and it was probably kick ass in my 50s. But we had this very
0: similar but different um, learning curve on that one. Well, interestingly enough, I was a tennis player, didn't like the individual win, and I actually I was number one in the state I was born and raised in, you know, sort of 10, 11, 12, 13. And then I was like, I want team sport. Very interesting, different. We went opposite directions. But I wanna I wanna double click on this for just a second because there's a stat out of Bain that literally said, We're since we're talking about salespeople and talking about sales leaders, and most high performing sellers end up some. Where along the way being asked to be a leader. And to your point, they'll either really, really succeed or they'll hate it, leave and go back to individual contributing someplace else because they won't step back down right. in the same environment, right? That I think it's, I'm, it's either 52 or 54. 54% of sellers would not spend $1 for one hour of their manager's time. Hmm. So... <laughs> That means that sales managers right are are focused in on the wrong sides of things right administrative, the productivity versus that coaching and mentoring where's your blind spots? let me help you sort of learn and evolve. so you know being a leader requires you to make investment in yourself, I think is where where we could we could leave that.
1: and also requires the maturity to know you know what you might need some coaching around pipeline management or territory management or you might need me just to role play with you. All kinds of client situations where we both stumble and laugh and are horrified and I won't be the expert in everything. I think too often sales leaders, or for that matters, leaders, they think their job is to be able to do the other person's job better than them. That's not true. Your job is to make it safe, to share your insecurities and to role play and to grow and to coach and to build and converse. I've learned so much about that. I'm glad we're talking about this. Not everyone should be a leader of people and that's just fine. And I think in Too many organizations, we've kind of made it you are or you're not. And that's a horrible culture to work in where someone who has an individual contributor can't be respected and have influence and power just like a leader of people. we got to figure that out.
0: Well, I'm going to do a really great segue here because you've got a book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, which came out uh, a couple years back. And so we've just now talked about the ills of being promoted, (laughs) And then let's say that you now work for someone who got promoted, who is not a great manager, right? They, yeah. they, they either haven't made the personal investment, one, or two, the company in that promotion did not give them the support. So for example, you're going to get a promotion. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you look back across the table to someone who says, you know, would you be interested in this? Maybe the answer is, I would love it. Would you please you know, let me expense a coach? Let me go through, you know, to learn my blind spots. But if everyone deserves a great manager, what are the things uh, that those managers, you know, that are listening that are already in that position, how do they improve being a better manager?
1: Well, I think the first step, the first, if you will, critical practice is developing a leader's mindset. You have to move out of what is the common mindset of when you were an individual contributor that you achieve results on your own. And you must change your belief system, your paradigm, your mindset. That what I said before: I achieve results with and through others. So when that's the case, when you fundamentally believe that your key job is to achieve results with and through other people, then you focus on relationships. You focus on coaching, mentoring, taking time to listen. Because right now, everybody needs a little bit different style of leadership. What you may need from me is different from what Tom or Tina or Deb needs from me. This idea of you know spreading your leadership style across 15 people ain't working anymore. You have to take the time to really understand people's insecurities, their passions, their joys, their fears, their anxieties. Second, I think, is to really make sure that you're meeting with people one-on-one and you're listening. It's counterintuitive for most le- most leaders because most leaders – have spent their careers communicating, persuading, influencing, selling. And as a leader, you need to be more cognizant of when you are listening so that you you don't check on people, but you're checking in with people. What do you need? How can I help you? What are your areas of growth? Would you like some feedback on those? You get the point on that. I think it's super important to recognize that leaders don't create engagement. That's human resource myth number one. Leaders do not create engagement. They create the conditions whereby the members of their team choose their own level of engagement, and it's different for each person. So I go back to this individual style of leadership. Great leaders are great coaches, and great coaches have become very patient listeners to really tease out what could this person use that may be different than what someone else might might learn. Not everyone needs to be coached the same way. Some wanna be coached with you know, Socratic questioning and some wanna be coached like, you know, straight to the face, here's what you're doing wrong or here's why I see your blind spots are. One style won't fit everyone. There's more things that you could do, but I think generally it all rests with your mindset. How do you see your job? How do you also see the other person? Do you see them as competent? Do you see them as credible? Do you see them as a threat? Are you you perhaps jealous of them? Isn't it funny, Tiffany, how nobody ever admits to being jealous? We think everybody else is jealous. I'm jealous all the time of people's success and their competence and their degrees and their vocabulary and their learning style, their speed at which they pick things up. I think it's important to recognize. Jealousy can be okay, admit it, right? I actually really kind of jealous of the skill you have. And be open to be influenced by them as well. Because you are the leader does not mean you're the genius. Stop trying to know everything. Your job is to
0: unleash the genius in those who work with you. So what do you then think of the you know, the adage of people don't leave companies, they leave bosses?
1: I actually think there's a lot of credibility in that, right? People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad bosses and corrupt cultures. I don't think there's a big debate there. You can nuance it into debate, but you know, if you actually do the math, pre-pandemic, we, we typically spend more time awake with our colleagues than we did with our family and friends. So your leader has a vastly unhealthy disproportionate impact on your psyche, on your self-esteem, your self-confidence, and maybe even your self-worth. So leadership is the linchpin of every organization because you can make someone's life miserable and you can make them question their, their contribution, their self-esteem, Your leader should make you feel better about yourself, make you smarter, make you more vulnerable, make you more comfortable admitting your mistakes and your challenges and use that as a tool for growth, not a weapon against you. And by the way, way, that wasn't me in my 20s and 30s. I was kind of the prototypical guy who thought it's my way or the highway. And the reason I got promoted was my way was the best. So I turned a lot of people into versions of me now, fortunately, I, I tended to learn quick and apologize. I, of course, worked in a leadership company, so I had access to a lot of great mentors and coach. But there's, no, I, I fundamentally do believe most people quit bad bosses or corrupt cultures or a new culture that wasn't what they joined.
0: Okay, so then what happens if you work for a great manager, since we're talking about your book, Everybody Deserves a Great Manager, and your great manager leaves?
1: Well, I mean, ideally in your organization they've institutionalized how vital leadership is. And there's not just one great manager. You know, I've worked for some people that weren't great managers, but I also don't have a victim paradigm. I, I don't let them change my weather. I carry my own weather. I know what my skills are and I'm competent to lead up when necessary. I'm also comfortable telling my boss, you know what? you want me off my phone more during your meetings than have less boring meetings? Why is there no agenda? Why are these meetings three hour long? You know, I'll stop using my phone when you have a meeting that actually doesn't take three hours long where I'm asked two questions. And when I do answer, I feel denigrated by you. I mean, honestly, I'm 50. And I will say that in a respectful way where I'm aware of my contribution. I'm not delusional about my credibility with performance and results comes credibility I'm a very diplomatic person, but I also will speak my mind. To the person who's working for a new leader, you may have to also train that leader. Don't mistake bad bosses with bad people. Only 10% of the population are truly sociopaths. The other 90% aren't. They don't wake up in the morning thinking of ways to destroy your life. They're good people that may be bad leaders and perhaps some of your job is to sit down and tell them what kind of leadership you need from them. I don't know about Tom. I don't know about Andrew. But Tiffany, this is what I think I need from you. And by the way, I'd love to hear what you think I need from you. I'd love to have you tell me what my blind spots are.
0: And I think that just lands on psychological safety, right? And I and I wonder what your thoughts are on this leading from afar, right? That now it used to be this ability to... Managed by wandering around, aka Tom Peters, um, in search of excellence. But you know that management by wandering around now has shifted because the wandering around is happening virtually. Right? It's a Zoom call or a Teams call or a Hangouts call. And you, as you said, checking in on them. Do you think that that remote leadership requires a different
1: types of skills? No question. I mean, it probably has put more pressure on leaders than it has on the individual contributors, because you're leading a team of eight people. Everybody may have been in the same storm, but they weren't in the same boat, and you have no idea what's going on in their life, right? If they've got a teenage son who's vaping, or a mother-in-law moving into dementia, or a child with gender identity issues, or their marriage is stressed, or the bill they can't pay, they don't now. They don't know now how to how to get promoted in the company because there's no politics anymore. There's no meetings to be seen at, like, you know, in person. And so I think the, the I don't know if you can use the word post-pandemic, but where we are now has, has dramatically increased the amount of effort and time and care and empathy that leaders spend with their people. You've got to get to know your people better. You've got to understand what is their journey. What are they trying to accomplish? Where can, you got to give them more feedback. You may have to give them more specific feedback. You may have to apologize. You may have to say, hey, allow me to declare my intent. I would like to improve your skills on this, and I don't know all the reasons why you may have done or said this, but my intent is to help you. Please don't take offense. Here's what I'm seeing because we're missing the body language. We're missing the pre-forgiveness of recognizing you may not have intended to do that, but here's what I saw in an email. So I do believe that the leader's role has unfortunately Exponentiated in this hybrid virtual role that requires you to know your people like you never did before, including people you hired that you've never met. You've never met them personally. So you don't you haven't built the same connection rapport. You don't know, you know, their body language is also so important, right? And being able just to drop in and listen in, and it has made leaders' jobs much more difficult and more important.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't use the term, I'm going to use it here, but the great resignation, I actually have reframed it, the great reflection, because I feel like everybody's sort of reflecting on what got us here. What have we learned during this time? To your point, we're not at the post stage yet, but we sure have learned a lot. And so through that, uh, what are the things that we can be mindful of? As both an individual contributor or first-time manager, to not snap back to yeah. the way that it was.
1: Yeah. I was in California yesterday with a business partner. I own a speaker's bureau and a, spe- and a literary agency with a partner. And he has a, a, a 27-year-old employee who wants to leave and go to another company. But the company is a person of one. And the, my partner was frustrated that they didn't get the vision for the opportunities in our company. And they were kind of like, they, they're his, he's a very competent partner. And his position was sort of like, well, just you know, go if you need to. You know best. And I and I was saying to him, you know, and I was saying, you know, I think the skill that we're all being required to show right now is a level of patience that perhaps we don't want to always demonstrate or always didn't have. I have to show and demonstrate a level of patience with people, whether it be their point of view, their lack of access to information, the context, the texture of how we got to where we are, the why behind the what, right? I'm spending much more time investing in people talking about the why not just because I said so, or because I'm the leader or I have executive privilege, which I did for decades. So I'd say to everybody, the core leadership competency, the core human competency, all of us need to show right now is a little more patience. I wonder why that person thinks that way. I wonder if there could be some information that'd be helpful to share with them to give them more context. I wonder if I should allow them to ask some more questions of me. I just don't think there's the shortcuts we had before. We had these deep res- reservoir of emotional bank accounts and they're kind of depleted. And so I don't think we have that reservoir to draw upon like we did. We certainly don't with the new hires in our company. You know, I've got people I've worked with for 10, 20 years. I have deep reservoirs. They know my intent. They know my strengths, my weaknesses. And so that's not the same now. So I'm not an actually patient person. I'm a father, so I'm learning that skill uh, daily in <clears throat> a spouse. But that's the one thing I would say is everyone needs to slow down a little bit. Dr. Covey, the founder of the Franklin Covey Company, of course, authored the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I, I, he coached me for 15 years. He said many wise things, Tiffany. Amongst them, he said, with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. You cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. So for those of your listeners out there that are like me and you have like a default style of, you know, do it faster, check it off. Efficiency has been your brain, which it is mine. Keep that up when it comes to social media, emptying the dishwasher, washing the car, and doing some emails. But you cannot be efficient with relationships. And in this time right now, the great reevaluation or Whatever you want to call it, you need to exercise great judgment on when to be efficient and when to be effective. In almost every case with people, slow is better.
0: Yeah, you have to slow down to almost speed up, right? And What well, was that? And, and I, yeah, and I think uh, you know, I was given two books by my stepfather when I was uh, sixteen years old. One was uh, "In Search of Excellence," and the other was Seven Habits of Highly." Effective he gave you people. Tom
1: Peters' book "In Search of Excellence" in your teens, <laughs> and and this is why you're so successful.
0: Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. Now, I, you know, did I read them? Not really. You know, did I sort of go, wait, what? You know, yeah. but I think he saw something in me I didn't see. You know, yeah. I was pretty. <laughs> What a good, coach. A good um, coach. Yeah, I was I was pretty business interested uh, very young, so I think it was so. You know, when I told that story to uh, to Tom when I first met him, he just was tickled by it. You know, and now we've become really good friends. But I think you have to sort of slow down to speed up. And the other thing I would say, just personally, going from individual contributor to leader is not everyone works at my pace. Not everyone you know has that sort of go 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 go. You know, that sort of I need a moment. <laughs> to absorb everything you just threw at me before you throw more at me, right? And I think especially in this time, uh, people are feeling a little overwhelmed, right? And productivity is way up, but so is burnout. So I think that it's also a time to, to your point, Steve, right, check in with people and make sure that they are personally doing okay while we ask so much of them professionally.
1: That was the money close, nicely said. (laughs)
0: Well, listen, I, this has been such a great conversation. We could kind of keep going on and on for hours, but if you don't know, he's got, he's got management mess. Everyone deserves a great manager marketing mess, which we didn't even get into. And I love talking about a seller who then became a marketer because we all know we don't like each other. And then you have to not like yourself. It's very interesting. (laughs) And then he's got master mentors Uh, version one I guess and then he's got Master Mentors uh, version two uh, the update coming out October of this year 2022 Um, so go check out his stuff any place else oh and the podcast obviously on Tuesdays uh, on leadership with Scott Jeffrey Miller anything else you want to leave our esteemed listeners with
1: Uh, I'm contemplating the dinner in space thing so that will sit with me Tiffany thank you for the platform today
0: Thank you everybody for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. What a fun conversation with Scott Jeffrey Miller. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So many great nuggets about being a leader, being present, being patient. And if you're someone who aspires to be a leader, get a coach. I know it would have served me much better in my 30s and 40s when I sort of became a leader. Uh, When I look back, there were so many blind spots I had that had I just made that investment, I probably would have had uh, a much better sort of view on what it meant to be a leader. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of the What's Next podcast. Don't forget to leave feedback, subscribe, tell your friends. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everybody.